Good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John today. It's been weird. It's weird saying that after saying Genesis for a year and a half. But uh, we're off to John today. We're looking at the first 18 verses. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And here we read In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word today. Years ago, my uncle wrote a book about the life of my grandparents, in particular my grandmother, entitled A Journey in Christian Heritage by Richard P. Belcher. That's my dad's brother. And uh, within this book, in chapter 4, there's a little discussion that takes place with regard to my grandmother's earliest recollections of her faith. I just want to share a brief excerpt here from what she says. She says, My earliest recollection of God's presence with me was when I was a little child, just three years old, and I was afraid to be alone at night in the dark. I had two older sisters, and we slept upstairs in the bedroom of a farmhouse. We had no electric lights in those days, so at night we slept in pitch darkness. This particular evening, I had to go to bed alone, though I don't remember why my older sisters were not with me. So my mother took me up to the bedroom with a coal oil lamp as her light. She put it down on the table beside the bed, and then she listened to me as I said my prayers. We were taught to pray from that the time I can remember, and she kissed me goodnight and then picked up the coal oil lamp and started to leave, and I began to cry. I remember this scene as if it had happened yesterday. My mother came back, 
And she set the lamp down again. She asked, what's the matter? I told her I was afraid to be left alone in the dark. All of us have wrestled with being in the dark. Even like a child, have you ever found yourself in a dark place in your adulthood where it seems that the walls are closing in and you, and you hope that you just can find some light somewhere? Perhaps you've encountered dark feelings of loneliness even when you've been in a crowded room and there just doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And perhaps a relationship has been broken with someone you love and there just doesn't seem to be any way to fix it, or your boss is hassling you over trivial things again, making it difficult for you to even want to go to work, or you just received horrible news about your health, and now what are you going to do? Or the resources you were counting on to take care of everything seem to have vanished into thin air. All these things can lead us to very dark places if we're not careful. But the reality is we are just not without hope in this world. We serve a Savior who is who is for us in every respect. He indeed is the word of God, and he will always be there to see us through whatever comes our way. This week, as we begin our new message series in the Gospel of John, we will see that the word existed before the beginning, that the word was with God and the word was God. And the incredible news is that we can know the word personally in that he is the creator of all things. He is the life to us, and ultimately, he is the light that overpowers the darkness that all of us face. In our new message series, That You May Believe, the Gospel of John, the good news of John, in the beginning is the Word. In terms of our authorship here, we believe this is written by John the Apostle, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, perhaps the very, very best friend of Jesus during his earthly ministry. We're talking about John the Apostle, the evangelist, who was one of the 12 disciples. This is our author, not to be confused with John the Baptist that the Apostle John writes about here in John 1 and 3. We'll talk about John the Baptist in turn. We think this was written somewhere between 45 and 100 AD, likely the last gospel that was written with Matthew, Mark, Luke, being written prior, and it was probably written by John at Ephesus, where John ministered before being exiled to the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean for his faith in Christ. The early church accepted the Gospel of John as early as 170 AD, as it was canonized as a part of the New Testament works. And the audience for John is really everyone. The Gospel of John is known as the universal gospel written for both Jews and Greeks. So it's for everyone, everyone even in this room. In terms of John's purpose, we see his purpose in John 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's where we got our title, that you may believe. Now, with these first words in the text, by way of introduction here, understand how culturally relevant John's words are here to us. In the beginning was the word. This is the universal gospel. John brilliantly uses the culture of Judaism by masterfully employing the phrase, in the beginning 
Where did he get that phrase? Well, from the very beginning of all Scripture, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So John uses this phrase, in the beginning. This phrase would arrest the ear of any God-fearing Jew and call his attention to consider the testimony of John's gospel. So now all the Jews are listening. But then John brilliantly, brilliantly uses the culture of the Greeks with the usage of the word word. The word word here in the Greek is the word logos. I know, some say logos. It's logos, trust me. In the Greek, associating the word itself with the person and work of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, we just read it. And the word, that is the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? That's Jesus. As one theologian put it, for the Greek philosophers, especially the Stoics of John's day, the logos in our text as word was used to express the central principle of the universe, the spirit that pervaded the world, or the ultimate reason that controlled all things. That's how the Greeks saw the word logos. The the word logos literally meant the reason and meaning behind all things. John doesn't superimpose this philosophical concept on the logos, or on the person of Christ, but adopts the Greek term as the best way of expressing the nature of Christ to a philosophically Greek-dominated world. From a Greek perspective, the word logos, that's translated as the word word here in our English text, was the reason and meaning behind all things. This is so brilliant, and it's so culturally relevant. All the Jews are now listening, and now all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews are listening. In the beginning, was the reason and meaning behind all things. That is Christ. Well, today I have six spiritual truths I want to share with you. But before we dive in, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we take just a moment to invite you to be a part of our discussion, Lord, we know that you're here. And Lord, we know that you inhabit the praise of your people. And Lord, we know that this is your word to us by the power of your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to hear the things that you have for us today. Help us not to miss anything. Strengthen us through your word, Lord, that we might apply these things in our lives in a real way. Thank you, Lord, for attending to us. We want to give you all the praise. We ask this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Now, if you have your sermon notes outlined, uh, here's the first truth. And by the way, if you don't have one of these guys, is there someone who, if, do you want one? Who, who doesn't have one? You, there's one right there. There you go. This one's yours. This is the only one that's free today. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy that. But uh, if you don't have the money for it and you want to have one, go grab one right now. Pay later. We don't care. We want you to have the resource for the, the, the guide. So anyway, here we go. First of all today, the word existed before the beginning. Understand the word, the reason and meaning behind all things, that is Jesus the Christos, the Christ, existed before the beginning. What does it say? In the beginning was the word. At the very foremost is the word. John 1.15, we read this. John bore witness about him and cried out. Well, what are we talking about here in John 1.15? John bore witness. Now we're talking about John the Baptist. 
Here our author John the Apostle says, by the way, John the Baptist bore witness about him, about the word, that is about Jesus, and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. You hearing what's being said here? Here's John the Baptist saying, hey, look, it's Jesus. And he outranks me because he existed before me. Now, this is a really kind of a weird thing for John the Baptist to say. Why? Because John the Baptist was born first, and then Jesus was born. But John the Baptist says, no, he pre-exists me. And we see this idea, this motif of the pre-incarnate Christ. The word existed before the beginning. In John 8, 58, Jesus says to the crowd, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh my goodness, do you understand how potent that is? Notice how it's really not very good English either. But it's so theologically accurate. Before Abraham was, I am. Really utilizing Passages like Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the I am statement that Jesus is saying of himself. I've always existed. I've always been there. The word existed before the beginning. John 1.14 tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, pre-exists all of creation. But not only that, secondly, the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's what the text says. Not only was the Logos with God, the Logos was God. The meaning and reason behind all things was with God, and the meaning and reason behind all things was in fact God. And here we see unity and oneness in the Godhead, yet with distinction within the, the very nature of God. The Word was with God, and yet was in fact God. And this is the very nature of the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, here, the Son of God, the Christ, the Christos, is distinct from the Father and yet is one with the Father. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our God. Jesus, who had equality with God, basically allowed himself to be humbled and found as a man. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, this Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Titus says in 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only is he our Savior, Jesus Christ, he is our great God, Paul reminds us as he writes to Titus. In Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I ask you, how close is exact? And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then there's John 10. 
Take your Bibles and turn over to John 10 for a moment. This won't be on the screen, but I want you to see it. In John 10, there's an amazing passage that takes place. Verse 22 of John 10, it says, At this time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was the wintertime. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colony of Solomon. So the Jews, now mind you, this is in the middle of Jesus' ministry. John 10, we'll get to this passage eventually in our study of John. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. This is a great question. If you are the Christos, if you're the Messiah, the Mashiach, the promised one from old, would you just tell us plainly? Now listen to Jesus' response. You see what he said? Jesus answered them, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Well, what kind of works? Well, he's been healing people. In the previous chapter, a blind guy who's been blind from birth that can now see. I've done these amazing things, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Bam! Did you hear that? I and the Father are one. At which point people go, well, I wonder what he means by that. Maybe Jesus is saying, well, the Father and I are really in agreement about things. Oh, no, it's way more than that. How do we know it's way more than that? Read the next verse. What's the next verse say? After he says, I and the Father are one. Did you see it? What'd they do? Get a rock. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. In other words, those who were listening to Jesus knew exactly what he meant. Did you hear what he just said? Get a rock. We need to blast this guy with rocks. Why? Because it's blasphemy to say that I and the Father are one. Can I say that with any meaning? Brad Belcher and the Father were one. I don't think so. Not really. Uh Uh-uh. Not the way that Jesus is. Get a rock. Of course, Jesus, you know, he inserts verse 32. You know, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which... For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a, a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. At which point Jesus could clear everything up. He said, Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. You misunderstood me. We're, we're really not so one, like I said. No, he, he pushes the envelope. He pushes him further. Jesus answered in verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said you were gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the the father consecrated sin to the world, you are blasphemy because I said I am the son of God? Basically, he's really calling them on the carpet with how flippant they are, with how they talk about, you know, those who are of God or not. But then he says this in verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Understand what's going on here. 
At no point does Jesus back down from the idea that he is divine. He just doesn't. I and the Father are one. Get over it. If you're not going to believe me with what I'm saying, you're going to have to believe with what I'm doing, that lame guys walk, blind guys see. Hello. The Word of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was not only with God in the beginning, he in fact is God. But thirdly here, we can know the word personally. Don't miss this. Because if you're not really paying too much attention here, you could easily just go right past it and miss it. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. And you go, well, yeah, we already said that. Notice, no, there's something more here. Did you catch what the little more is here? Did you see it? It's the word what? He. He. Verse 1 doesn't say he. At first we could think it's an it. No, it's a he. It's a person. He was in the beginning with God. Here we see the personal nature of Christ. We can know the word personally. Notice that so far in verse 1, we haven't seen a pronoun, but now the very word of God is presented to us as a he. The word is a person. A particular he is the person of Christ Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ah, that's our Jesus. That's the he. And since he is a person, we can have a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, the very word of God, the logos, the reason and meaning behind all things. Ephesians 3.17, we read this. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is how personal it is. Christ can dwell in us through faith. I can know his love personally, and I can be filled with the Spirit of God, with the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. That's incredibly personal. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You mean I can have a real knowledge about who my Savior is, who my Redeemer is? Yes. Revelation 3, 20, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I can be in a personal relationship where I'm dining with Christ in life. All of us can have a personal relationship with God through Christ. The question this morning is, do you? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Have you received him as your personal Lord and Savior? Our God is not some impersonal force or some spiritual, impersonal power or platitude. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, can be known personally. Fourthly here, the Word is the creator of all things. The Word, the logos, the reason and meaning behind all things is actually, in fact, the creator of all that exists. Every molecule in this room was made by him. Everything you're looking at, it's all his. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Through who? 
through the Lagos, the one who is God, who is with God and is God. And by the way, without him was not anything made that was made. If it was made, it's from him. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here, even in Genesis, we see the foreshadowing of the discussion of what we call the Trinity that's represented throughout Scripture. You see it on the screen? In the beginning, God, that's Father God who ordains all of creation. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep, bringing energy, energizing all of creation. And did you notice, and God said, who's speaking here? Jesus, because Jesus is the, hello? The Word of God, thank you. He is the Word. He is the Logos. So when God speaks, who speaks? Christ does. And you go, oh my goodness. You mean from even from the beginning? Yes. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. You ever think about this? Our Jesus, he is a star-breathing redeemer. All their hosts, all the stars. By the way, there's a lot of them. I don't know if you've ever counted them. There's a lot. There's a lot. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There it is again. You can't get away from it. Our Savior, our Jesus, the Christos, the Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the Holy Trinity is the creator of all things, through whom also he created the world. Paul writes in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Are you getting the picture here? All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only is he the creator of all that there is, he's the one actually holding it together. Even the scientists don't know the answer to that. You go down to the molecular level and you get into the atomic structure and even the quark theory, and they don't know why the electrons just don't fly off. Well, we know why. He's holding it together for us. That's why. And you go, oh, you mean he's the creator? Yeah, of everything. We often think of Jesus Christ as our redeemer, but I, and that's like one foot, right? But... He's also our creator, and now we're on a solid foundation. Creator, redeemer, he is both. By his sheer grace, the personal Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the creator of everything. But fifthly today, the word, the logos, the Christos, the one who is our redeemer, the one who is the meaning and reason behind all things is life to us. Verse 4, in him was life. How are you doing with that? How's your life? In him was life. He is life to us, both physical and spiritual. And now, through faith in him, life abundant and eternal 
And by the way, apart from him, there is no life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? As many of you know, Kathy and I served in the country of Hungary for about three years. And in downtown Budapest is St. Istvan's Church. Can you put that up for the screen there? There is St. Istvan's. It's massive. You see where the, the little below the green, see the green basilica? Just the next layer down, you see some, like, looks like a little um, old railing there. You can go up there and walk around the outside of that and see the whole city. It's spectacular. And you go, man, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. But I want you to see and understand something that even though that's so beautiful and fantastic and it's a church and you go, wow, these must be super religious people. Really not so much. And what's tragic is if you zoom in, one more picture, you zoom in at the very top here, it says, ego sum via veritas et vita. Anybody know what that means in Latin? Who's our Latin expert? Ego sum, I am, via, the way, veritas, the truth, verify, right? via, that's how we get our way, veritas, truth, et vita, and vita, life. It's right in front of them and they miss it. Okay, you have to get your Latin dictionary and look it up. Okay, I get, I'll grant you that. But how tragic to be so close to the gospel, the very gospel message, and for it to be lost on you. It's the centerpiece of the city, the gospel. And yet so many are lost in Budapest. Beloved, the word is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, Jesus said in John 14, 6. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The question here is, are you in Christ? Because without Christ, there is no life. Why? In him was life. That's what it says. Have you found your life in him? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is life to us. He's life to you. But lastly today, and don't miss this, the word is the light that overpowers the darkness. That's what the text says in verse four. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, verse five, and the darkness has not overcome it. The logos, the word, the reason and meaning behind all things, the Christos, Jesus the Christ, is the life. And the life was the light if Jesus is the Logos, if Jesus is in fact the reason and meaning behind all things, then by inference, Jesus is the life. And if Jesus is the life, then he is in fact the light which shines in the darkness. 
Later in John's gospel, Jesus says two times, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know how dark it is for you right now, but if you're looking for where the light is, are you walking with him? Those who walk with him will be walking in the light. Jesus says in John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. And notice what the text says in our text. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The word here in the Greek is katalambano. It cannot be thrown down and smashed. You can't overcome God's light in Christ. The darkness has not and cannot overpower, overtake it. It cannot overtake the light of Christ. Jesus is precisely the one who can overpower the darkness that you're in right now, no matter how dark it is, no matter how lonely you feel. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the light, the very light that overpowers the darkness that all of us are facing. And all of us do from time to time. Maybe it's not so dark for you right now, but I'm sorry, but there's coming a time where the lights are going to go out and you're going to go, oh no, where is he? Back to my grandmother for a second. She asked, what's the matter? I told her uh, I was afraid to be left alone in the dark. Then my mother said something very comforting. You're never alone. Jesus is with you, and where Jesus is, it is light. She then picked up the lamp and kissed me again and went back down the stairs, and I watched her shadow as it played upon the wall as she descended the stairway. And then it was pitch dark, and I was all alone again in the room by myself. I closed my eyes, and I remembered her words, you're never alone, Jesus is with you. And where Jesus is, there's light. Thus I learned a great lesson that night, my grandmother says. I learned the truth of John 8, 12, though I didn't know that Bible verse till some years later. But I did learn where Jesus is, there's no reason to be afraid, and that he is the light of which my mother spoke and of which he spoke in the Bible verse I sensed his presence that night in the darkness of the room within a small child's heart and soul who was afraid. Later, I learned more of the statements about Jesus being the light when I discovered he said, I am the light of the world. If any man follows after me, he shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Of course, we know he spoke of spiritual life and light, but when one has spiritual light from Christ, there's no reason to be afraid he is and has been the light of my life as my mother taught me in those early days as a small child. Here's a little verse, a little poem my grandmother wrote back in 1989. She says, as I travel the narrow way, the world is shut outside. I do not hear the voice of fear when I in him abide. Sometimes it seems each step I take will lead out into the night. But I press on, and the dark is gone. It fades before his light. 
The word is the light that overpowers the darkness. Because of Grammy's childhood testimony to our family, I personally, I don't really remember being afraid of the dark growing up. And our children were really never afraid of the dark either as we explained the same account to them. We taught them that Jesus was with them and that they were never alone even in the darkest of times. And the same is true for all of us in this room. The same is true for even you right here, right now. Beloved, the Word existed before the beginning. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The incredible news is that we can know the Word personally, and He is the creator of all things. He is life to us, and ultimately, He is the light that overpowers the darkness that all of us face. I ask you, have you placed your faith in the one who existed before the beginning, the one who is the reason and meaning behind all things, the one who was with God as, and is in fact God? Do you know him personally as your creator and your redeemer? He is life to you. He is the one who can overpower the darkness that you're facing even right now. Would you please stand and pray with me as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, you know the hearts that are before me today. Lord, you know what darkness people are encountering and dealing with. Lord, I pray even right now that they would look to you and that the lights would come on. Even the quietness of this moment that they might hear from you with what's been talked about today, what's been said from your word. You are all that we need. We can fully rest in you, for you are our God. These ancient words that are so awesome to us, even right now. So Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, we know that it's ultimately your truth that sets us free, that we might find life, knowing full well that you are life to us if we just trust you, if we just walk with you. Lord, if there's someone here who's never placed their faith and trust in you, it's my prayer they would do so, that they would believe. They'd invite you to be Lord and Savior, even right now. Invite you into their heart, knowing full well that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And in so doing, Lord, I pray that you turn their lights on that you would dispel the darkness as only you can. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these words of truth that bring us great comfort in some of our darkest times. And even now, Lord, with those who are here who might be really wrestling with darkness, Lord, I pray that you would grant peace. Lord, I pray that you would grant light, your light, as they focus on you. Lord, thank you for not abandoning us to ourselves. Thank you for your watch care. Thank you for always drawing us to yourself by your sheer grace. May we be drawn to your light, Lord. And now, Lord, as we go out into this world, may we bring that same light to a dark world that's longing to see, longing to be loved, cared for, valued, 
Use us, we pray, Lord. May we not uh, bury our light in a bushel basket, but may we let it shine. Lord, we pray all these things in your son's wonderful and glorious name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.